I talk about them as like kind of that like angry drunk guy in a bar that's like just always ready to fight you. That's the Blue Monkeys. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast that almost didn't get made this week because I was so busy watching Get Back, the new documentary about the Beatles, the Rossafari podcast. Y'all, I love watching documentaries about animals, and so uh, when I turned on what I thought was going to be a documentary about insects, I was really shocked to see that it was about this weird human band that spelled their name wrong, the Beatles. No, I'm kidding, obviously. The Beatles are one of the biggest influences in my musical life. Um, I will come at anybody who says that Ringo Starr was not an amazing drummer and is not an amazing drummer. Um, But You know, I have to tell y'all, my little musician heart grew three times its size as I have been watching Get Back. And um, frankly, I can't wait to finish this episode so I can get back to it. Hey, so uh, if you're at all interested in creative processes or how music works or just watching the greatest band ever in the studio, um highly recommend the get back documentary uh about the beatles it's on disney plus right now and it is magical and yes i realize this is an animal podcast but um hey they're called the beatles it works but all right enough about that we are here to talk about zoos and conservation and this episode has a bunch of both i am really really excited to get into all of what you're going to hear uh, and share this episode with you. But first, I need to do a little bit of a programming note. For those of you that have been following along since the beginning, uh, you know that it has been about a year and a half of the Rossafari podcast with at least two episodes a week, and I have not taken any time off. Well, Now that it is December and I'm doing gigs and working on some future projects and trying to do some new stuff for the podcast next year and also have some holiday stuff and family time coming up, I have decided that for the last two weeks of December, I'm still not going to be taking a break. Okay, so that's not much of a programming note, but it kind of is because my current plan subject to change at my whims and fancies, is that this week and next week, I'm going to be releasing my normal Tuesday interview episodes, as well as my Friday Zoo News episodes. Then for the last two weeks of the year, I've got something special planned. Something new to your ears, probably. Something that isn't an interview, so I don't have to deal with all the schedule stuff and going through all of that. And something that should make my life a little bit easier for those two weeks while still providing new content to most of you. Uh, so yeah, keep your eyes and ears out, but just know that this is the next to last new interview for this year. Although I promise you, you're still going to want to check out the content Tuesday and Friday every week until I actually eventually take a break before my brain leaks out my ear. Oh, and also while I've got you here, I wanted to share a story. Um, It's one that I can't give a lot of details about yet. Uh, Maybe down the road I will be able to, but right now I cannot. But I have to tell y'all, I got to meet an octopus, like actually meet and hang out with an octopus. This is a an animal that has been near the top of my list for a long time. And they are as weird and brilliant and weird. I have to keep saying that. I'm convinced they are aliens. Editors note, they're not. But, you know, ha- how to say it. 
They really seem like aliens, though, y'all. Um, and they show their personalities, and they play with Legos, and I, it was such an amazing experience. And I'm going to get to keep seeing this octopus and build a bit of a relationship with it, uh, is what I have been told. Um, and you you can do that. You can build relationships with octopi. So um, I'm losing my mind about that, and I am working really hard to bring you an episode about that and and get everything cleared through proper channels so that this can be a Rossafari thing instead of just a cool thing that happened to me. But I just had to tell you all about it because it's so cool. And if you ever have the opportunity to spend time, I know there are some aquariums and stuff that will let you meet an octopus, go do it. Even as a person who spends an inordinate amount of time meeting cool species of animals and hanging out with them and getting to do the stuff that I've gotten to do, that one was really, really special. Okay, so enough about that. Um, you're not going to hear about me meeting an octopus in this episode, but you are going to hear me meet Chicoan peccaries. And you're also going to hear about blue monkeys and a ton about rhinos, both in a zoo and in Africa. Because today I am bringing you an interview with Tiffany James of Zoo Knoxville. Now, you might recognize that name. Tiffany has been on the podcast before. It was her goal to make me fall in love with great apes, and she succeeded wildly. And part of that is because great apes are amazing, and part of that is because Tiffany is amazing and passionate and just a great person to be the voice of animals. And um, I'm so excited that she's back on this pod, and you're going to hear it all again. Um, Tiffany has gone on from working with great apes to working in a different department where she works with the peccaries and some monkeys and rhinos and some other stuff. And I'll, I'll let her tell you all about that. And yeah, we get into what it felt like for her to leave her beloved chimps and slightly less beloved gorillas, but she still loved them. Um, you know, and to go to this new department, we talk about that. But also, if you listened last week, and if you didn't, no need to pause now, but Go, go back and check it out. It's a good episode. You heard that Zoo Knoxville has a program called Quarters for Conservation, which is uh, something that helps fund keepers and anyone who works at the zoo. You could be a janitor, doesn't matter, uh, to go out and do conservation work in the field. And Tiffany took advantage of that and earlier this year went to Africa. It is an amazing story, and I cannot wait for you to hear it all. Unfortunately, I am going to have to wait until after this ad, at least. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so standard reminders. Make sure you're following along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Rossafari, on TikTok, at Pod. And uh, if you want to support the pod, you can do so by hitting up patreon.com slash Rossafari. Oh, and there is some bonus audio after this interview of some time with me and Tiffany out uh, in Zoo Knoxville. It's good stuff, so make sure you listen to all of that. Uh, so without further ado, here is my interview with Tiffany James of Zoo Knoxville. All right, so welcome back to the pod. Uh, but for those who haven't heard the first episode yet, tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. 
I am Tiffany James, and I am now an East Mammals Keeper here at Zoo Knoxville. Used to be Great Apes, so some of you may remember me from that. Absolutely, and that was an awesome episode, and we talked about how much you love your chimps and gorillas, and now you're not with them anymore. Yes, but I made you fall in love with them. You did. And I still go up and say hi to them, especially Binti. Of course, Binti is the best. (laughs) Um, But yeah, for those who haven't listened yet, and I'm sure I'll forget that I said this and put it in the intro, and then I'll have it in here twice and look stupid, but uh, episode 20 is is all about Tiffany James and the, um, the great apes here at Zoo Knoxville. But so let's let's talk about this switch. You're, you're in a new position now. Yeah. What are you working with? What does so, East Mammals mean? <laughs> Only mammals that are found in the eastern part of the country? You would think. So East Mammals is located on the west side of the zoo. This um, makes sense so far. All right. <laughs> I think historically we used to be on the east side of the zoo, but uh, as animals grow and change and departments just shift. We're still East Mammals on the west side, and we have <laughs> a lot of animals from Africa, so uh, not East. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so East Mammals, we have kind of two different branches in our department, and we have the bear side, so we have four black bears. Um, we have uh, Chacoan peccaries, which are these really yes. cool pig-like species. I was honestly afraid of them when I first started. Okay, why? Pigs just scare me. I think it dates back to college. I worked with uh, American guinea hogs, and we had one that had a bunch of babies. And I was like, oh, cute piglets. The mom just, like, picked one up and threw it across the stall. So <laughs> I'm scarred for life. <laughs> but these peccaries have these big, like, scary teeth. They look like vampires. Um, but I'm obsessed with them. They're so cute and so sweet. Peccaries um, are amazing. Yeah, I love they're them. They're so cool. Oh, gosh, they're wonderful. And then on our other branch, we have our rhinos. Um, we have two southern white rhinos, Dolly and Polly. They're some of the oldest in the country, actually in the world at this point. They're wow. 53 years old. Ooh. Yeah, old for a rhino is 40, so they're definitely past that. And then we have yellowback dikers, and we have blue monkeys, which are off view, but we still take care of them. Aw. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> so um, what, what, what prompted the move? I was just ready for a change. So um, I'm in grad school now. I talked about Project Dragonfly. I know everybody talks about Project Dragonfly with you. Everybody. It is the rule. <laughs> you wonderful... may only be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this department is actually like our sister department in Great Ape. So we have the same curator. And I talked to my boss. I was just ready to kind of move on, focus more on school, um, or just kind of get a break. Not that I don't love my apes. I do. But um, Yeah. And then she asked me if I wanted to switch departments. And I said, sure, I know nothing about any of these animals. So it was it was really cool. I thought monkeys would be the the closest thing to the apes. Like, right. oh yeah, I'm a primate person. I got this. They're so different. It's it's fun. It was it was a new experience, like learning with all these animals, and I'm absolutely in love. Well, that is yeah. not surprising, <laughs> but also wonderful to hear. So yeah, the monkeys would have been my assumption too. They're just yeah. apes with tails, I thought. So why don't you tell me why that's wrong? Tell me, tell yeah. me how they're different and so, what your experience has been like. Yeah, it's I it's hard to describe them. There's okay, so I <laughs> I talk about them as like kind of that like angry drunk guy in a bar that's like just always ready to fight you. That's the blue <laughs> monkeys. <laughs> it's the best way to describe them. They're they're just crazy. And that's just the species. I mean, we have a male and a female, JT and Neely. Um, and they're just very sassy. So sometimes, uh, if JT is mad at me, um, he'll get mad at Neely, who's the female and then Neely will get mad at me and they're both there like shaking it. And I'm like, you guys aren't scary compared to chimps. Like I'm I'm used to chimps, like reaching out, trying to like stab you. I think I talked about Bo tripping me last time. She would like get the branch between my feet and just make me fall. (laughs) And then they laugh. At least the monkeys don't laugh. (laughs) But yeah, so they think they're very big and very tough. And it's just like, well, just calm down, buddy. What are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, they're really cool. They're native to Africa as well. Um, so uh, there's a bunch of different subspecies of blue monkeys. Uh, they're a type of Gwenin, for people who know what that is. Uh, kind of a bigger monkey and just, yeah, they're insane. <laughs> are, are, are they blue? They're not blue. Well, you would think they would Explain to me be. why they're called blue monkeys. <laughs> They've got kind of a grayish blue tint to their face. It's not really blue. Um, and they don't all have that, but some of them do. And the name, I guess, just stuck. All right. Uh, so selectively gray kind of bluish monkeys. Yeah. yeah. All right. I like it. I like it. Very yeah. Cool. Fun fact I just learned about them. Um, I was doing a research project on them through Project Dragonfly because I didn't know as much about them and I wanted to know more. Um 
everybody talks about baboons being like the naughty monkeys out there. So they're like crop raiding, doing all this destruction. <laughs> and a study that I was looking at in Kenya, um, they did a survey and the people thought that it was baboons being destructive. And it turns out it was the blue monkeys doing it <laughs> and then leaving. <laughs> and then everyone just blamed the baboons. But yeah, it was naughty little blue monkeys. They like to destroy things and that doesn't go well for farmers. <laughs> At least baboons just mostly eat what they want. Um, Monkeys are just like, I'm going to throw things here, put it there, eat a little of this. They're chaotic. Wow. Well, that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. And you said they're not on exhibit, right? No, they're off you. So we have um, like a section of our zoo that's kind of behind the scenes. And sure. The monkeys live there. Okay. Very, yeah. very cool. Um, so what – I guess my first question about this transition, other than what animals you were working – okay, so my quest, second question, since I already <laughs> asked my first, is uh, – what was it like emotionally? Because I know that you had such strong, I still have, I'm mm-hmm. sure, because you guys are friends. I don't want to, <laughs> don't want to, you know, insult your, your posse there. But um, both for you and as far as you can tell, for the the great apes that you worked with and had these strong bonds with, and now you're hanging out with rhinos. Like, what was that like? Yeah, it was hard. Um, so obviously, I love the chimps. I love the gorillas. I talked about them so much before. Um, and I kind of planned a clean break, which would have been maybe easier. (laughs) I don't know. Um, so like I was just planning on like fully moving on from the zoo. Um, and then the opportunity to stay came up. So I was like, okay, well I might still do a little bit. And since we are sister departments, if COVID wasn't around, I could go up and visit more and maybe help out. But, um, apes are obviously susceptible to COVID, so they have to be extra careful. Um, but I still walk by and go see them. Uh, it's, Vinti, Vinti runs up to me, so it's Aww. still nice to see her. Um, so when we were a little bit slower, uh, I would just go up and eat my lunch there, or just hang out, and Vinti would come and sit with me. And then she'd show me different things. I want to see what's in my pockets. Um, so our dikers and rhinos, you can take like a shorter loop and go just right from one to the other, or you can take the long way up the hill, which is what I usually do to walk by the chimps. <laughs> so I go and see them. Gorillas don't really care that much about me anymore. They're, I mean, they're... Definitely not as human-oriented as right, the chimps right. were. So I still go up and say hi and play with Obi, uh, who's, gosh, seven now? Six? She's older. Um, and go play with her and then move on. But I have to go see Binti and I have to go see Mwelu. You met Lou last time. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I still see them. Nice. But yeah. Very, very cool. Um, that's that's good. And and there were no, I mean, from what you've, you've heard and seen, again, I know, you know, we don't want to anthropomorphize, <laughs> but there were no issues on the, on their front. They, they weren't sad and, and, you know, whatever. They seemed to do well with the rest of the team. It's hard to know. I mean, I think that Binti, I think I was her favorite, but that might just be me putting that on her because she's my girl. But sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they already had good relationships with everybody and I still go visit, but I mean. Who's to say? I had a really good training relationship with her. Um, so something I was sure to do before I left was pass off all these behaviors and make sure that um, everybody there had the training um, that I had been doing with her one-on-one. So we worked and we built up that relationship. So I actually had like three months notice there and then did kind of like 50-50 between the two departments. Um, so it was a slower transition right. to make sure that uh, the animal care is obviously the top priority. So. Anybody can train her. We were working on maternity behaviors before, and I think that'll be beneficial in the future, too. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk dikers because I love dikers. Yes, and good. I just spent um, some time at Brookfield, mm-hmm. and there were yellow-backed and red-sided, red-rumped, something I forget. I'll have to look, but they have two <laughs> different types of diker there. And um, one of them just came, like, right up to me at the fence and was hanging out. And if anyone else came over, would run away. But then would slowly come back to me. And we just hung out for, like, a while. And I was like, do I just not see the rest of Brookfield Zoo today because of this diker is perfection? Be worth it. And that was what I debated. But uh, I did move on. But um, but what a, what, a, what a gorgeous animal. So yeah. for people who don't know what dikers are. Yeah, so I work with yellowback dikers here. So they're the largest species um, of the diker family, and they're a forest antelope species. Normally you would think of antelope in these big herds, um, but diker actually live either on their own or in small groups. Um, So usually if you see them in a zoo, you've got to kind of really look for them in the bushes. They don't come up to people a lot unless they're just being extra friendly, but they're very selective. Or if the person is very special, maybe a podcast (laughs) host who just has a real heart for animals. I don't know. Did you bring your mic? They're ready for their interview. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. 
Um, so something fun with them, uh, I hadn't ever really worked with hoofstock other than like farm animals. So uh, they're super skittish and I was trained in saying, don't, don't spend too much time looking at her. Be very slow. Be very cautious. When I try to be cautious, I trip. Like if I'm trying to be quiet, I'm loud. <laughs> it does not work for me. So I just started walking normally. I'm like, whatever. Like I won't stress her out. I'll just kind of pay attention to where she is. And Ruby liked me from the get-go. Like, it was kind of a joke because I was asking my uh, curator, I was like, what do you do when she's, like, coming up on you and, like, trying to walk on you? And they're like, she doesn't do that to people. What are you talking about? (laughs) So, yeah, she would go through my pockets. Later on, I realized that I think it was the lotion I had on because they're very scent-oriented. Sure, Um, sure. So I think she just really liked my Kiwi lotion. Um, but now we're at Best Buds. Um, are they're so cool because you wouldn't necessarily think an antelope would be all that intelligent, but they actually have brains that are like more primate-like. So they're oh, wow. really, really smart and have these great like mapping abilities. And in the wild, they'll actually follow around monkeys um, since they are on their own and everything wants to eat them. Um, they listen for monkeys to make the alarm call and then can run away. And then they'll also wait and get the food that monkeys drop. So I was talking about blue monkeys being messy, throwing things around. That works for Diker. They'll follow it and they'll eat that and be happy as can be. Yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> oh, I like Diker so much. Me They're too. so cool. Yeah. Um, I also like, I noticed that, you know, when people have their animals, mm-hmm. they relate everything to it. Like in any episode <laughs> of this podcast, I can be talking about fish and suddenly red pandas are dropped into the conversation, <laughs> you know? And now you're like, oh yeah, dikers are basically primates. Oh, and also, yeah. check out how my rhinos are like primates. And um, <laughs> they are, they actually swing through the trees. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that only happens off exhibit. Yeah. Though. Yeah. yeah. Just, just <laughs> oh my goodness. That always cracks yeah. me up. Though. But I, I mean, <laughs> That's seriously, true. like what? Yeah. Yeah. Everything's a primate, do you, right? Yeah. yeah. You probably yeah. even think humans are primates. Oh, wait. Weird. Wait. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely definitely do that like if i'm annoyed i just automatically like think wouldn't it be great to be a chimp and just be able to like throw something at someone <laughs> you don't like I'm like oh wait i'm human i can't do that are we yeah. not supposed to yeah weird oh. right so i also have a question for you because i'm noticing a trend with your keeping style yeah. and it's it's a little different than any other keepers that i've i've talked to <laughs> what is it about you and your pockets because every species that you work with is like, I want to go through Tiffany's pockets. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. That's really true. Um, so I told you before I wanted to work on like building up training relationships. So going back to my girl, Binti, um, she was the lowest ranking champ, didn't really have a strong relationship for training with people. Very, very timid, especially with like injection training. If she saw a needle, she'd rub her arm dramatically and run away. <laughs> it was this very like dramatic thing. So to build up that relationship, because I was placed as her primary keeper or trainer, um, I started carrying peanuts in my pockets. So then I just had treats and then I would casually, if no other chimps were around, like slip her a peanut and that kind of built the trust up. So then she would look for me and she'd want to hang out with me. By the time I left, she would, like, throw her shoulder up to the mesh in order to get, like, an injection when she saw the needle. Like, she was ready to go. And that was just that trust. So kind of building up that trust bank, making that little friendship there. Um, And I just kind of carried it on. So I do think it was uh, the lotion at first with Ruby. But I also do carry treats in my pockets a lot of the time. (laughs) They know me. I also have chapstick, which smells good. Fair. Fair. (laughs) All right. That makes sense. And um, how do you use that at home with your husband to control his behaviors? Do you keep little like. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't know if you keep like fruit snacks in your pocket or something. Gummy bears. That's (laughs) really his favorite. See, there you go. Perfect. Smart. Reinforcement. Yes. Positive reinforcement. I'm actually. I have a friend right now, mm-hmm. and and this is a person who has started doing some really annoying stuff to me, but I'm trying <laughs> to be nice to them, and I have legitimately started trying to do positive reinforcement training, <laughs> only awesome. responding to certain messages, Yeah, and, and I'm honestly trying positive reinforcement <laughs> training because of this podcast with a human right it now. It works. I'm not kidding. It yeah. works. When my nephew is like a year old, I would babysit. My brother and sister-in-law didn't like this, but I uh, tra- <laughs> I trained him to go into the kennel <laughs> just for reinforcement. He was doing it anyway. I just trained the behavior, but it was <laughs> – yeah, I didn't – at the time, I didn't really get why they didn't like that, but now I guess I can see why. <laughs> That's amazing. Hilarious. Yeah. Wow. I thought you were going to tell some great, like, behavioral things. No, no, no. Just threw a human in the kennel. It's no, cool. he went himself. It was free choice. That's what we do here. It's of positive course. reinforcement and – the animal, or in this case, my one-year-old nephew, uh, they get to choose to participate, and he chose to. <laughs> Amazing. So um, let's talk about something that you did recently that's not yes. at Knoxville. 
but is 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 close. Yeah, kind of close. Right? <laughs> so one of my favorite things about working for Zoo Knoxville is we have this program. It's called uh, Quarters for Conservation, called Q4C for short. Ooh, um, we, we like our acronyms here. Um, and you, so basically, a quarter of every ticket that goes in goes to this big pool of money for conservation, and it's only for conservation. And from that, um, keepers can apply for grants, essentially, and we can uh, do different professional development opportunities. So um, some people will go to a hoof trimming class to learn how to take better care of their animals' hooves. Other people do training. And there's all sorts of things you can do. Um, I applied for a trip to Kenya um, with the Sweetwaters Chimp Sanctuary there. It was actually through PASA, nice. Pan-African Sanctuary Alliance. Talk about it all the time. Um, so she, I she really does. I do. Text at like 3 a.m. just randomly. <laughs> Pasa. Pasa. <laughs> Send a picture of Binti. That's all you need. <laughs> uh, no, but I got this grant and it was supposed to be in 2020, but something, can't think of what it was. Something came up with the earth yeah. and, you know, <laughs> travel. I don't remember anything, but you know. Weird, right? So yeah, the trip kept getting pushed and then we had the Delta variant and then it got pushed again. And then finally, uh, just last month, uh, the beginning of September, my boss was like, just go, like, just take the time off. We had a lot of changes in our departments. We were short-staffed. We're uh, getting otters. This big new area of the zoo is opening up. Um, so our schedule is about to get more chaotic. And she's like, you know what? Just go. We'll make it work. This trip is worth it. So I was able to go. And um, Sweetwater's uh, Chim Sanctuary is located within Old Pejeta Conservancy in Kenya. Um, so it's kind of like just this big overlapping thing. So I first heard of Sweetwater's, which is why I applied for this, um, when I – was a brand new PASA volunteer. Um, so I was doing a fundraiser that helped sponsor their director to go to the PASA conference. And it's a, kind of always been in the back of my mind. And then I started working more with chimps and I was like, I want to go there someday. And it turns out they wanted me too. They wanted me to come and help talk about training and work with their keepers. Um, so since they're all being really careful with COVID as well, I didn't end up doing the chimp side of it, but conveniently, Olpegeta is known for rhinos. And look at me, the chimp keeper turned rhino keeper. <laughs> Literally the most ideal place for me to go. It was phenomenal. So I spent uh, two weeks there, um, sponsored by the zoo, um, and just learned so much and was able to share information about our geriatric rhinos uh, with the keepers of the last two northern white rhinos on the planet. So Najin and Fatu, they're amazing. So I was sharing info from to them, and they were giving stories back, and it was just this really wonderful experience. I'll talk about it all day. <laughs> well, you talked about it for about a minute. Tell me more. Yeah, no, seriously. More, more, like, more. let's go. I, I really want to hear some of the details of what you did there because okay. I saw the pictures. Yeah, looked they, amazing. <laughs> it was. Uh, it, it was really cool because any picture you take just looks like this dramatic photo. I was sending a couple pictures to my mom and sister, and they literally thought I was joking and just like sending them pictures from online <laughs> because they were just so wonderful from my iPhone. <laughs> it was. Amazing. So, yeah, I went by myself, um, went up into their immersive conservation program. It's this really cool volunteer program they have. Um, there's a bunch of different options. You could do one week, two week. There's different tracks you can do. Um, so for me, I was focused on, obviously, animal welfare, rhinos. Um, so I was able to go and do that. And there were four of us in our group. And I lucked out. All four of us uh, were young females. We got along so well. And it was just this incredible experience. So we started out doing game drives, and they're like, okay, you might not see all that much. I, I think they just say that just so you are you get that wow when you go there. <laughs> because it was it, – it's how to explain it. It just gave me so much hope for conservation being there because you hear about all the difficulties that wildlife are facing, especially rhinos right now. Um, they're getting poached for their horns. There's just a lot of issues going on. And I kid you not, there were rhinos everywhere, like – you look at there's 90,000 acres, and it's hard to not see multiple rhinos in a day. It's, wow. It's insane. So we saw all these rhinos, rhino babies, black rhinos, white rhinos. The northern whites are in this uh, protected space, but right. we saw them. So uh, did you saw both of them? Yeah, I worked with them. Mm -hmm. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, we, we got to go in and uh, really work with the keeper there, and it was it was nice. That's we, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it's just weird to think that they're the last two. I like, know. There's it's, nothing yeah. else. No, it's, I know. I, I heard – I just read apparently they mm -hmm. just decided that they are no longer going to take eggs from the mother Yeah, no, uh, she, for that project. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. so down wonderful. to one providing eggs for the, the hope mm -hmm. of the future of the species. Yeah, and there is a lot of hope for that too. Mm -hmm. So the in vitro fertilization, I think San Diego had a successful baby uh, 2020, I believe. Right, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's progress. There's hope. And um, 
where I was working, they had an enclosure with uh, southern white rhinos, and they had a vasectomized male who was there to kind of indicate when those females were fertile and ready um, for implantation. So they've collected the northern white eggs and are going to implant them into the southern white females um, because with the northern whites, A, you don't want to risk birth complications with the last two out there. Obviously, um, yes. But both of them have issues, so they they can't carry a baby. So, uh, But their eggs, I mean, they're able to use that, and they're able to use the sperm from males that have passed. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to bring back the species. I was really concerned about inbreeding. Um, yeah, that's, I was just going to ask, do you yeah. know anything about that? Because yeah. that, that seems problematic to me. So, better than extinct, maybe? Exactly. But, yeah. That's that's kind of what I asked. And they did say, yes, better than extinct. But they're able to um, do it. They have enough samples from enough individuals before they pass that they're able to kind of hopefully bring back that species. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. It was it was so cool to work with them. Um, and it was funny. <laughs> the, the girls I was with, they, they all are into conservation, but they weren't um, keepers. So we had to kind of walk this narrow pathway between the northern white enclosure and the southern whites. The southern whites are wild. So they're enclosed now, but they, they're just brought in from the wild. They were there. They closed them in. Um, and the male was, like, kind of bluff charging at us. And I'm used to chimps. <laughs> so, like, I was just kind of, like, walking, not really doing anything. Um, and the head keeper there for the rhinos, he's like, I can tell you work with rhinos. This is before I told him that. And I was like, I do. Because everyone else is really stressed, like, looking around, like, is he going to get us through the fence? And I'm just like, meh, okay. Like, <laughs> keep walking. Like, obviously, they're not going to bring us there where it was super dangerous. Right. Um, so I thought, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was cool because I kind of had a good connection with that keeper. And we were just talking the whole time, every time we saw him. Yeah, we were that definitely that happy group there. So everybody wanted us to come to their areas, which is fun. Um, so oh, yeah, you're all crinkly eyed, even talking about it. it. I can tell you're so happy. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I love that. Definitely apply for more uh, grants to go in the future back to Kenya, uh, work at different organizations. But I'm I'm going to go back to El Pechita for nice. sure. Nice, that's awesome. <laughs> what um, what was the experience like outside of the animals? I know that you had at least a little drama in your life. Wanna <laughs> wanna share? Yeah. So, okay, so in the program, we have this set schedule, um, and some of the things we're doing are a little riskier. You're out in the wild, you're walking around, um, and like I said, there's a lot of wildlife there. So the lions, we got really close to the lions, but there's not a ton of competition. There's not a lot of threats to them, so they're just like, okay, I'm good, I'm fed, whatever, keep doing my own thing. Um, so that was fine. Like, we were doing uh, bushwalks, which you're literally just walking out in the middle of just these big open grasslands. Um, with a ranger who is armed for our protection. Um, they don't actually, like, bring the weapons to shoot the animals, but to kind of, like, make the noise and scare them off. Um, sure, that makes sense. Which we learned uh, <laughs> up close when we had a couple buffalo coming at us. Um, yeah, so they just kind of did, like, the warning nearby shot, and then they were like, oh, got to go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little risky. Uh, but the scariest thing happened to us when we were at camp just hanging out by the fire pit after dinner. Um, and the camp is protected, it's predator-free, so there's, uh, like, hot wires, so electric fences around uh, to keep us safe, this nice little enclosed area. But there's these water buck, um, which, for those of you that don't know, they're they're basically like a big deer. Um, they're around 600 pounds and supposed to be super docile. Nobody has issues with water buck. Uh, no, we did. So we heard this, like, dramatic growling sound, just like... In the bushes. We didn't know what it was. So we were like, okay, we need to find out what this is because, uh, A, if there's a lion in there, we need to know. Right. Yeah, um, seems important. Yeah. And then uh, some of the staff were like, I think that is an injured lion. Like, it's holding something down, but there's these weird sounds coming. So then, obviously, we're really paying attention because lions are important. We, we, if it's injured, we're going to call the vet and we're going to help it. Um so we, <laughs> we had lights turned on. It wasn't uh, us newer volunteers, but it was an experienced volunteer whose car was parked there. And the parking lot was between us and these water bug. And turned on the lights. One water bug knocked the other one. It was two males fighting. Knocked it out from the bushes. And it came running back. Ran into her car, which was parked. Uh, didn't hit it with its horns, but totally damaged uh, this other volunteer's car. And then came, like, barreling at us, like, <laughs> trying to knock out these volunteers. So two of us... Uh, two girls just ran back to the kitchen area, which wasn't a far spot, but they were literally being chased by the water bug. So then me and another volunteer, we had to literally walk back because uh, apparently when you're running, like, it's you're more likely to get charged and, like, kind of be like, I'm a threat. Um, so we had to walk back with this water bug just charging by us, and it was the most insane thing. So, like, I'm used to having, like, chaos and drama and, like, being able to, like, act 
in stressful situations. And then afterwards, I was like, holy smokes, like what just happened? And we just, yeah. So then we tried telling people about it. Um, they're like, you got hit by a water bug? <laughs> <laughs> you did what? And I told my family, because um, I was like, hey, I almost died. And we were like trying to raise funds to fix this car because it had so much damage. And uh, my mom immediately brought up that when I was in high school, uh, riding my bike to soccer practice, I got hit by a deer. <laughs> And, like, just literally wiped out on my bike. So she's like, what is it with you and these deer? It's like, fair point. <laughs> so, yeah, it's guard for life. So every time we saw a water bug, we're like, is it you? Is it you? <laughs> and we did find the culprit. Luckily, he was totally fine. Both the males were totally fine. Um, so as much as we were, like, giving it the stink eye, we wanted to make sure they were okay, too. Right, right. But, yeah, yeah, traumatized by water bug. So you said that the other girls were not keepers. Mm-mm. So what were they doing there? What what like, what like kind of experience did they bring? How did they get yeah. to be part of that? Yeah, so they were on their gap year. Um, so this program was set up so we could um, basically, like, it caters to who's there. So um, with me, the rhino person there, we did a lot of rhino things. But the whole conservancy is rhino-related, which is cool. Um, so one of them wants to be involved with conservation organizations, Um one is studying to be a politician and the other is really into sociology. So they were kind of all there looking at different aspects of it. Um, so we just had this really fun group and they were all in their gap year. They were younger than me. So I got to live my younger life basically. No, <laughs> we were just all so energetic the whole time. It was so cool. Nice. That's awesome. And then let's bring it back to <laughs> Knoxville. Um, and let's, let's stick with rhinos. So tell me about what you got going on here with the rhinos. Yeah, so we have our two old ladies. I mentioned that they're two of the oldest out there, mm-hmm. Dolly and Polly. Um, so basically, now that I'm back from this experience where literally everything we did revolved around rhinos, we worked with cows that were grazing, and the whole point of that is to help the grass that rhinos need, and we worked with the anti-poaching dogs. And now it's my role to come back and tell everybody about it. So do podcasts like this, and basically, I mean, you know I love talking, so it's perfect. So just talking to visitors and doing a presentation for ZooSaf and kind of getting everybody else involved. Um, so rhinos are important, and when I have my two rhino ladies sitting right there or standing next to me, I can talk about them. I can talk about their horn. I can talk about the last two northern white rhinos and compare that to our girls. So I still can't believe yeah. that you I, – I still cannot believe yeah. that you – like – Yeah, we were in with them. I'm so yeah. freaking out about it. Rode that, horses that. with them. It was oh it was great. God. Wait, did you say you rode them? No, I'm kidding. I you <laughs> yeah. <wouldn't ride. laughs> no, no, no. No. But, but like – Oh, man, they're just – they're so important. And that's, yeah. That, that's it. It's weird. That's but, yeah, amazing. what's nice about Old Pachita is that they have this volunteer program. But there's a lot of others for people who aren't as into wildlife necessarily or don't want to get down and dirty. Um, you can do it. And there's this really cool organization called Conservation Matters. Um, and they kind of hook you up with all these different conservation experiences in the area, Old Pachita being one of them. But it's really cool because you can just – reach out to them and say, hey, this is what I'm interested in. This is what my background is. And they'll kind of connect you to whatever you want to do. Um, So for me, obviously, education, talking, rhinos, that's what I'm all about now. So being at the zoo, it's cool because to me, the whole point of zoos is to have these animals to make connections with people. So we don't just have animals in zoos just for fun things to look at. We're here for a reason and we're working um, to teach people about the animals and get them to care about the animals and get them to donate money and donate time and donate their energy so they're kind of making the world safe for everybody, not just humans. Nope. All the important ones, not humans. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything cool and then also humans. <laughs> so what's it like coming back from Olfegeta to to Zoo Knoxville? And and you know, how how I mean you've talked about how it changed you mm-hmm. in a professional sense. Yeah. You know, but but how has it changed you, you know, internally? Yeah. Yeah. So I've had the opportunity to go a lot of different places. I uh, was an exchange student in Germany. I've been around Europe. I've been South America, Central America, and I've loved everything. I love traveling. Um, But there's just something about it. And it took me a while to find words, which you know is impactful. Like if I don't have words for it, it's saying something in its own right. Um, But it's just everybody there, there's just so much heart. And I hadn't realized that it's called the heart of Africa. Um, It makes sense. It's just... It's, it's incredible. So just being there and like seeing wildlife and seeing a conservation organization that works, like they have babies, they're at capacity and they're 90,000 acres and they're expanding. That's awesome. That's yeah. such a good thing. So to me, it just, I don't know, it kind of just renewed everything. Um, so why I'm here, what the point of zookeeping is for me. And 
I think passion is contagious. So like I am so passionate about it and conservation and working with animals. I want everybody to care, even if it's not about rhinos, even if it's not about chimps, except Binti. It better be about Binti. Um, but no, really, like if you love dung beetles, go out and you protect those dung beetles or red pandas for you or just mm-hmm. what, you anything. That? How do you know? <laughs> what? You Weird. Know? Yeah. No, yeah. but I, I do think, I think you're right. I think it's important to see not only is passion, I mean, we talk about passion on this pod all <laughs> the time. You know that. But it's, it's important to see conservation mm-hmm. work. One of the things that I love about Red Panda Network um, is that it works and that they post constantly about the new things that are happening. And like, they just have their first ever photographic evidence of a red panda in an area of Western Nepal that they've been trying to mm-hmm. rebuild the forests and, and all That's this cool. stuff. And it's, it's, it's working. Yeah. And I see that picture and I go, holy poop. It's so exciting. You know, <laughs> my money is working and, and bringing awareness yeah. is working. And it's, it's all just so important and beautiful to see those moments yeah. you know um and and yeah even like you said you said dung beetles but like with burying beetles up yeah. at roger williams park zoo um you know seeing those populations grow and seeing them having to find new population or new locations for populations it's, it's yeah. yeah it's cool I, yeah it is it's like nice. conservation works yeah um and i think it's easy as conservationists and especially as very online people which yeah. which we can be to get focused on all of the bad news because mm-hmm. there is there's a it's lot, a lot. Of bad news yeah. out there um sometimes when i do my zoo news episodes i purposely leave some stories out for a week i always get them out there yeah but like there was one week that all i had was bad news yeah it's I just too like, much and I, I went on a search to find yeah. the good because i had to um yeah. and i think if you focus on on the good that's happening i mean you need to be aware of what else is going on yeah. but you know I think that and having that firsthand experience is really cool. Yeah, it's I mean it just brings so much hope, especially in zoos we're talking about like all the issues animals are facing and trying to get people to care and I I can tell people to care a million times, but then if I tell a story about it and meeting Najin and Fatu, the the last two northern whites, like I mean, that connects people in a way that um me just talking about these facts that I've learned um it's it's just different. Mm-hmm. So, and for me, all of this is possible because people come to our zoo. So they come to Zoo Knoxville, they spend money here, they support conservation here, and that allows us to have funds to send keepers to go out and work at Old Pejeta and to learn all these different things. So it's just, it's amazing. So I thank people when they come to the zoo all the time. I did it before, but now I'm like, no, really, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It's It's great. It's amazing. That's awesome. And now to completely change the tone... <laughs> It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Oh, fun. Okay, so my boss is really into rhino poop. So she, (laughs) (laughs) and she'll say it. She's done presentations on it. We track what our rhino poop looks like every single day. Um, so we're looking at uh, the consistency. She's got it on a score. Uh, number one is poop soup, is what oh, she calls it. My oh yeah. Lord. And then right. fives. Those are the best poops. Those are those nice, light, formed ones. They're beautiful poops. So um, I told her that I would get a picture of poop when I was there. So we were actually cleaning up the northern white rhino poop, and I was like, "Hey guys, look, get a picture of me." And I sent pictures to her. Um, I learned that northern white rhino poop and just uh, poop generally in Africa, it's a lot lighter weight. So I was like hyping this up to the other girls. I'm like, yeah, okay, guys, like rhino poop's so heavy. Like you're going to have to lift it and everything. And we get there and it was just like, whoop, just throwing like little feathers on. So it was cool. And it dries out a lot faster there because it's obviously less humid than Tennessee. Um, You wouldn't expect it, but it was pretty cold where we were. We were up, yeah, it was like 6,000 something feet elevation. It was high, um, right on the equator. I got my first tan. Um, My husband didn't agree that I was tan, but I think I am. telling myself I am um but yeah so it was kind of cold there but the poop dried out a lot faster um but yeah I was very excited about it and people were like why are you taking pictures of rhino poop it's like don't ask just let me do it <laughs> but yeah my boss was excited <laughs> that's 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 yeah. amazing awesome cool well thank you for coming back and doing this yeah thanks for having me all right. So uh, after that, we uh, wandered the zoo a bit. And uh, the first thing that we did was we went and met the peccaries and uh, got to feed them. That was really cool and really sweet and awesome. And they are really neat animals. And um, I hit record and I had Tiffany share a little bit about 
peccaries and the peccaries at the zoo. So here is that audio. All right, so where are we at right now? We are at our Chacoan Peccary exhibit. We're hanging out with Butternut, Banana, and Nugget, our three ladies. And tell me, uh, tell me some interesting things. So these species, they're so cool. So there's um, peccaries in the U.S., and they're the collared peccaries, and they're doing pretty well numbers-wise. But Chacoan peccaries are a little different. They were actually thought to be extinct for several years. So these guys are native to South America, um, Paraguay, Bolivia, that re- region. And um, it wasn't until they were found on farms. So people were breeding them for meat. And that's actually what saved the species. So then they were sent up to a couple different zoos. Zoo Knoxville was one of the first to have them. And uh, we were breeding them like crazy. So we apparently had the mojo magic for red pandas and peccaries. <laughs> and everybody, they, they were just having a ton of babies. So then they've moved around to different zoos. Um, some of them have gone back to South America. And it's just a really great zoo success story. That makes me really happy. Thanks for sharing. Anytime. I'll talk about them all day too. Peccary day. Peccary day indeed. And then we wandered over to the elephant and rhino area and Tiffany shared just a couple of other stories, including a bonus poop story. Poop story. So tell me a cool rhino fact. Okay, so we are at the elephant exhibit right now. And um, when I was in Kenya, we were monitoring camera traps. So there's uh, two different wildlife corridors, which means that animals can go in and out of Olpegeta Conservancy. It's all still monitored by the rangers to keep everybody safe. Um, But it's designed so that um, all wildlife can pass except for rhinos. And rhinos are these big, strong, gray things. Um, And they have kind of two layers of fences. So one is just posts that are maybe a foot or two apart. And they're only like maybe three feet high. They're pretty low. Um, An elephant could easily walk over that, but instead they like to rip them out of the ground and throw them into the distance, (laughs) um, which is what the uh, camera traps pick up a lot. And uh, with rhinos, they don't want the rhinos leaving because it's not safe. Rhinos, um, their horns worth more than gold. So they have never had a rhino get out of Olpegeta. And it's not necessarily that first wooden fence that the elephants destroy. It's this really low layer of rocks that's, again, um, lower than my hip, only a couple feet high. They could probably walk over it if they really tried to. Elephants just step over it. But to a rhino, they have poor eyesight and their heads are a little bit lower. So they get up to it and they're like, there's a whole mountain here. I can't, I can't go. <laughs> and they'll just turn around and go back. So they literally cannot cross this tiny little rock pathway because... It's just so big to them. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's how you keep rhinos and old fish, though. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay, tell me the thing. Okay, so a fun poop story. Poop story. For you. Um, when we were there, we were hanging out with the Northern White Rhino Keeper, Zach. And uh, he was telling us about the guests that he had about a week before. And um, he picked up a pile of gazelle poop, which is just kind of like these little, basically like goat poop. <clears throat> so he had it in his hand. And was talking about these people that played a game, um, basically like watermelon seed spitting contest. So they put the poop in their mouth and were spitting it as far as they could. And he was the judge. And uh, I was like, okay, like it's a weird game. Like must be like some African community that does this. And he's like, I think they were Americans. And I was like, of course they were Americans. <laughs> That's funny. Now I can tell you, it is also an African <laughs> thing because Steph Fennessy from the Giraffe Conservation Foundation told me that they play that game with giraffe poop there. Oh, yeah. So they must have learned that. So yeah, Zach went out and picked uh, this weird like apple-like fruit. Um, for each of us, the four girls that were with me and then Zach, and we all had a contest and uh, I came in second and he won. So it was, it was a lot of fun. We did not do it with poop though. Wimps. <laughs> Y'all, I love Zoo Knoxville so much. And you can check them out at zooknoxville.org and also at Zoo Knoxville on social media. And um, even though I didn't get a chance to record any of this, my adventure was not done when I finished interviewing Tiffany. After all of that, we grabbed lunch and then she got one of her keeper friends to take me to the nocturnal house, which is closed for COVID and uh, got to see their adorable raccoons and skunks and owl and some other cool animals. And it was really fun. Then after that, I met up with Sarah Glass. Y'all remember Sarah Glass, right? If not, you definitely need to check out her episode in which she explains how the AZA SSP works because she is the SSP coordinator for Red Pandas, a.k.a. one of my heroes in life. 
More than that, though, Sarah has become a friend, which is really cool to say. And um, Sarah decided to take me back to the Ambassador Animal building, which is another area that she's in charge of. And I got to have so much fun. I got to meet their bat-eared foxes. I got to meet some rodents that were really cool. I got to feed and play with chickens, which if you have never hung out with chickens, they are really cool and really weird and awesome. Uh, and we spent some time with a prehensile porcupine as well. And I will I will post pictures of, of all of this goodness. Um, and then the last thing that I need to tell you about with my visit with Sarah was that I got to meet Cranberry. Now, a lot of you may not know who Cranberry is, but in the zookeeping world, Cranberry is a star. Cranberry is an ancient elephant shrew that uh, some of the keepers at Zoo Knoxville take care of. And Cranberry is not only extremely photogenic, but is extremely adorable when put into different scenarios, I guess you would say. They, they decorate Cranberry's enclosure for various things, and Cranberry runs around being an adorable elephant shrew, and the pictures look amazing. And um, this is something that in the Keeper community is incredibly well-known, and most of you listening that aren't keepers are probably going, I'm not even sure what an elephant shrew is right now, and most of you that are keepers are going, holy crap, John got to meet Cranberry. It's it's just one of those things. So I am an official member of Club Cranberry now, and um, I gotta tell you, those types of things never cease amazing me. I went from admiring Sarah Glass to not only getting to call her a friend and have her on the pod, but also just getting to hang out with her and finding out that there's this amazing Cranberry out in the world and then getting to meet Cranberry. It's amazing. And I want to thank you all because without your support, without your encouragement, without you helping to share this podcast and helping me grow this podcast... None of this would be happening, and I am so thankful to have all of you here for the ride. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I love you all. I appreciate you all so much. And more importantly than any of that, remember, kids, the word credits backwards is Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.